Good morning. Please turn in your Bibles. First Kings chapter 11. First Kings chapter 11. As you're turning there, I want to mention something to you that I, something I noticed about three weeks ago or so. I was um, losing. It's kind of weird. You know, you, you hang your arm over something and it, it kind of goes to sleep. It starts to feel numb, feels numb all over, right? And then you get the blood circulation going again, and it kind of stings real bad. Well, I had something going on in my hand, and it's like, well, that finger's kind of numb, like it's asleep, but no watch, you know, and that finger's kind of half numb, and what's going on there? Thank you, John. And so I was talking to some of the brothers here who specialize in things like that, and it's called a repetitive stress injury and it doesn't actually hurt i just don't have i just have a numbness in this right in this pinky and down the hand right about here and about half of this finger and it's just kind of interesting a little disconcerting you think okay well come on come on get the blood back in there and it just doesn't come back it's just kind of numb you know and they say it's from when i type i'm typing at work and i'm probably doing something wrong i'm doing it the right way and then i'm stressing it out and i'm probably causing an inflammation I'm affecting the nerve, and so I have this numbness. So repetitive stress injury. Did I get that right, John? Yeah. All right. Got, I got professional help here. I can get Michael and John help me out. Why did I bring up repetitive stress injury? Well, you could be praying for me. That would get better, not worse. But I think it has to do with our, our message this morning as well. I think what we're going to see in, in Solomon is a repetitive stress injury uh, in his life so let's read first kings chapter 11 and we're going to begin at verse 1 but king solomon loved many foreign women as well as the daughter of pharaoh women of the moabites ammonites edomites sidonians and hittites from the nations of whom the lord had said to the children of israel you shall not intermarry with them nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love, and he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not loyal to the lord his god as was the heart of his father david so the lord became angry with uh, sorry verse 9 so the lord became angry with solomon because his heart had turned from the lord god of israel who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Wait, what happened? This was our guy, Solomon. This was the guy who had less than an auspicious start. His start was not that promising right he had a he had a horrible environment to try to begin a successful 
career as a king. But the Lord loved him. And we saw that last week. The Lord loved him. Ever since he was born, the Lord set his love on him. And it says, we'll read it, we'll read it again today. He loved the Lord. So what happened? The Lord had blessed him. He'd become one of the greatest kings up to that point, maybe one of the greatest kings ever. He had been greatly blessed by God. And we saw last week, like us, we've been greatly blessed by God, haven't we? Why has he turned away from the Lord? Who had blessed him so abundantly. Now why is his once thriving, promising kingdom going to be destroyed? Why do people today turn away from the Lord? Even sometimes those who profess to know them, even sometimes believers, turn away from following the Lord. Even though he's blessed them so much. Well, thankfully, we don't have to guess. All, we, all that we need to know about this is in the Word of God. And let's read and see, where did Solomon get off course? The Lord had a direction for him, and Solomon is the one who got off course. Where did that happen? Let's turn to, our, uh, to the left there, to 1 Kings chapter 3. This is early in Solomon's reign. 1 Kings chapter 3. It says, Now Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh king of Egypt. I'm sorry, in verse 1. Now Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh king of Egypt and, made, and married Pharaoh's daughter. Then he brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall all around Jerusalem. Meanwhile, the people sacrificed at the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. Do you see that in verse 3, what it says about Solomon? It says that he loved the Lord. And he followed after his father David in walking after the Lord. But do you see there in those three verses? Something's not quite right, is it? What do you see there in verse 1? You see Solomon making a treaty with Pharaoh. And then marrying his daughter. If you stop and think about it, this is a very common thing to do. Even up to the recent centuries... Royalty would marry, you know, royalty of another country, and they would have their, you know, sons and daughters intermarry, and that would help bring the peace, right? You're not soon going to attack, if you're French, you're not soon going to attack England if your grandchild's over there, right? And so there would be intermarriage, you see? And if you think about it from Solomon's perspective, it makes sense. He's a new king. He's probably between maybe 20 and 30 years of age. And he has to establish his kingdom. He has to make alliances, right? To make treaties. And Egypt's a powerful country, right? So he has to make an alliance with Pharaoh. See, it's just stated kind of matter-of-factly there, isn't it? 
Is there anything wrong with that? It's a common sense decision. A ruler needs to make treaties and alliances to keep the peace. Besides, maybe Solomon will lead Pharaoh's daughter to the Lord. Right? Marriage evangelism. I can hear the groans already. But can you relate to Solomon? We have ways of justifying our actions, don't we? We see what we want and we use our, oh, that's just common sense to do that. I don't have to what? I don't need to ask the Lord about that. That's just common sense. See? We see what we want, we use our common sense, and then we justify doing what we want. And unfortunately, sometimes we even sprinkle some loosely related Bible verses over the top of it. Maybe you're in that situation today. Maybe you're in a situation where you're trying to keep the peace, as it were. Maybe you have a, an unsaved spouse or friend, uh, a relationship, a friendly relationship. This person either doesn't know the Lord or is not walking with the Lord. But you don't want to stir up any trouble. You know, that's your friend, right? They might make light of spiritual things. They might take the things of the Lord and put them down on the list of priorities, right? They might have an unkind or ungracious or maybe just downright critical comment about somebody else. And you're standing right there. What do you do? Well, you want to keep the peace, don't you? You don't want to ruffle any feathers. Maybe you just kind of make light of it. Maybe you just kind of laugh at it, chuckle. Maybe you join in. It's not right, is it? Maybe it's a strategic business decision. Maybe you have an opportunity to get into business with an unsafe person. A partnership. That's really what we're talking about here, isn't it? It's a partnership. Well, I just think, Charlie, if, you know, if I do this, I can, you know, I can have a partnership. And I could grow my business. And then, you know, I could give more to the Lord. Right? Strategic business moves. Maybe the most intimate relationship of all. Marriage relationship. I'm thinking about marrying someone. It's a romantic relationship. Contemplating a relationship to an unsaved person. What about that? Well, there's nothing wrong with marriage. There's nothing wrong with business partnerships. And yes, it's good to keep the peace. But not at the cost of disobeying the Lord. What had God already said to Solomon? What had God already... What, what, what he, had he already told Solomon through the law? Let's turn there. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Then the left hand turn. Keep your... Your fingers there in First Kings in that general area, but we're going to turn to Deuteronomy chapter seven. This is God reciting to the people his relationship with them, the relationship he wants with them. Verse one of Deuteronomy chapter seven. When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess, 
and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Sounds like a familiar list. Seven nations greater and mightier than you, and when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show, nor show mercy to them, nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. But thus you shall deal with them. You shall destroy their altars and break down their sacred pillars and cut down their wooden images and burn their carved images with fire. God had already told Solomon. God had already told all the people in the law. He said, don't do this. Do not take a foreign wife. And it wasn't a possibility. It wasn't a maybe. He says, they will turn you away from following me. I appreciated one brother. He was teaching a bunch of young people. And he said, you know what the most dangerous thing that can happen? When you, when you start to romantically think about unsaved people or unsaved person specifically, you can fall in love with them. Your heart can be drawn to them. And what's going to happen? They're going to draw you away from the Lord. They're going to draw you away from the Lord. The Lord promises it right here. They will turn you away from following me. He says, I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt with an outstretched arm. I took care of you through the wilderness. I brought you into this land flowing with milk and honey. I'm the one who's called you into a holy relationship with myself. I am holy. Therefore, you also be holy in all that you do. I've cast out these other nations because of their sin, because of their gods they worship. They would take their children and they would make their, the idols that they would create and make the idols, they would put a flame on it, make the idols' hands burning hot and they would offer their children as a human sacrifice on the hands of these idols. And that's just one of the many horrendous things they would do. God had judged them and was taking them out I was bringing in his people. He wanted a holy people to turn away from sin, turn towards him. He says, do not intermarry with them. Do not turn towards what I'm bringing judgment on. Some might say, well, that was the Old Testament. Do we have anything like this in the New Testament? What's it like for believers today in the New Testament? Let's turn there. 2 Corinthians 6. We'll eventually end up back there in 1 Kings. 2 Corinthians 6. Second Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 14. It says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. And as, as God has said, I will dwell in them 
and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. We have the same command today in the New Testament. It's the same command. The Lord wants that same holy relationship with his people today. And do you know what the context of this passage is in 2 Corinthians 6? Anybody know? What would you think that it is? You would think it's marriage, wouldn't you? It's actually not. False teachers had come into Corinth and they were wooing the Corinthians. And the Corinthians were going, wow, these guys are great. And they were yoking up with them. And Paul's saying, what are you doing? These guys are false teachers. These guys are unbelievers. Don't get yoked up with them. Do not get yoked up with them. They're not sent by God. What's the Lord saying through Paul here? Wake up. Can't you see they're not believers? Don't be yoked up with them. What, what is a yoke? We're, we're not exactly an agricultural... We're not exactly an agricultural society. But you know what a yoke is? No? Oh, okay. Different kind of yoke. I'm glad you beat Abby to that because she'd be right behind you on that one. Different kind of yoke. A yoke, the other kind of yoke, is farming equipment, right? Old times, uh, you know, a farmer would have a plow and he'd be pulling, he had some handles maybe, and a, that steel cutting into the ground or whatever he had going for him to plow the ground. But that would be pulled by ropes hooked to a yoke, and the yoke would have two animals on it, right? You know, a team of animals to pull that yoke because they're going to get a certain direction and get something done. You see? And it says, don't be unequally yoked. So what you don't want to do is you don't want to have like a Shetland pony and an ox. Why? Because they can't pull at the same rate. Right? You don't want to have a mule and a Clydesdale. Okay? It's not going to work. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And then Paul goes on to say, the Lord Jesus goes on to say through Paul, it's completely opposite. And think about it. Who's pulling those ropes for the unbeliever? They have those who are pulling their ropes. The world, the flesh, and the devil. We know. We were there. That's what we were like. That's what the Lord has told us to set aside. But that's what's pulling the strings behind that unbeliever. But behind a believer, who should it be? It should be Jesus. He died to be Lord. The scripture tells us that. He died to save us. He went all the way to Christ. He says, look, I, I died so you can have a relationship with me. Why would we take that relationship and try to team it up with someone going the opposite direction? He says it's night and day. It's light and darkness. The two have nothing in common. The believer is living for himself. And, excuse me, the unbeliever is living for himself. And all they want from the believer is to help them do that. And the believer 
What do they want to do? They want to live for Christ. Wow, the Lord saved me. I should have been in hell. He saved me to be with him forever. I want to live for eternity, for eternal things, not for the here and now. You see, it's night and day. Nothing in common there. Nothing can be shared there. The two can never go together. Whether that be a marriage, the most intimate partnership you can get into, or business, or even friendship, or as it is here in 2 Corinthians, teaching. You can't put the two together. So what's the Lord's answer? It's here in verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 6. Come out from among them and be separate. If they're going that way, you need to go this way. Let them go. It's not their fault. They are who they are. You know better. You were like that. And the Lord has opened your eyes. Now you need to turn away from that and turn towards the Lord. Come out from among them. Be separate. Well, I might lose a friend. I might never get married, Charlie. You know what the Lord says here? I will receive you. He says, I will be a father to you. And you shall be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. He expects that he is enough. Is he enough? Is he enough? Our God is a jealous God. He wants to have first place, complete, full devotion to him. Lasting devotion. You know what? The Christian life, it is not a sprint. It is not a sprint at all. The Lord's been carrying me along for, for, for 20 years. And I can see there's plenty more to go if he doesn't come back. It's not a sprint. It's a long distance. It's a marathon. But what he says and what he deserves is a daily devotion. And it said about Solomon in 1 Corinthians 11... His heart was not what? Loyal to the Lord his God. Loyal. He says, come out from that relationship, that partnership, that agreement. Come out from that wrong attitude. And when, and when you do, you will see how much I can be to you. It's amazing. It's amazing how right the Lord is. He promised foreign wives would make Solomon turn away. They would numb him as he married wife after wife after wife. A repetitive stress injury this man did to himself. I tried to do all the calculations. How long would it take to even marry that many? You know? 700 wives and 300 porcupines. You know? Prickly. God promised you do that, they're going to turn your heart away. And they did. They made him numb to the things of God. They made him numb to God's holiness. But there was more than just the wives that did this. There's more that Solomon was involved in. Let's turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 17. It's incredible to me the Lord knew about all this. He knew exactly what his people would be like. 
he knew they would reject him and want a king. And then you could see he knew what the king would be like. But he wrote down what the king should be like. And he wrote it down here in Deuteronomy 17. Deuteronomy 17, beginning at verse 14. When you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you and possess it and dwell in it and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. You shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your brethren, you shall set as king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother. But he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. The Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. Four main things not to do for the king. But as you look back there, he, the Lord called it. I was playing basketball. Martin and I were playing basketball. And you try to call a shot. I think I'm going to make that one. The Lord called this shot. He totally called this. He says, when you get in the land and you reject me and you want a king over you, and this happened in 1 Samuel chapter 8. And Samuel said, oh, Lord, look what they're doing. The Lord said, Samuel, don't take it personal. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. They're rejecting me. And the Lord knew it. And I don't know about some of you, but if we knew this, we'd say, forget. I'm the best king you could ever have. You want to reject me? <laughs> Wash my hands. And the Lord's so gracious here. He says, all right, well, when we get there, and you don't like it when I rule over you and you want a king. This is how you ought to do it. <laughs> wow. That's incredibly gracious. And the Lord tells him how to do it. He says, don't get a foreigner. Take one from among your brethren. But here's what he shouldn't do. He should multiply wives. He should multiply gold and silver. He should multiply horses. And definitely don't go down to Egypt to get them. Guess what Solomon did? He multiplied gold and silver. Certainly multiplied wives. And then some. And he multiplied horses. And where did he get them from? He made sure they went down to Egypt and got them. All the things God told him not to do. He hit it to a T. He violated all of those. Solomon loved the Lord, as it says in 1 Kings 3. But I think you have to insert those words in your heart and your mind. He loved the Lord at first. But his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God. He did not stay focused on the Lord. What got to him? I think success got to him. I think success got to Solomon. Wisest man, most prominent, really in the whole world. People would travel just to hear him speak. I mean, think about that. I mean, how would you get your head through the door, you know? I think success got to him. I think the building projects got to him. He built the temple. Then he built himself a big house. I think that took about 20 years just for those two. He built a wall around Jerusalem. Other great building projects. It says when he did it, man, he knocked it out right on time, no problem. All ordered in the way he did things. But if you're going to do building projects, what do you need to do? Oh, wait. We've got to build a wall. We've got to build a temple. We've got to build my house. Okay, okay, if we're going to do that... Um, all right, we're going to start taxing the people. 
All right, just bring it in. Bring in the gold. Bring in the silver. I mean, you got to pay for the building project, right? You got to pay for the need, right? So what does he do? He multiplies gold and silver. He, he multiplies the money. Stores up the bank account. Nothing wrong with a little money, right? It's the love of money that's the root of all kinds of evil. It's okay to have money because, you know, if, if I'm going to build these projects, you know, I'm building them for the Lord, I'm going to need more money. How about those horses? Horses. you have any horses today? Nothing wrong with having horses. They just sit there in the stable, garage, I mean stables, you know. Multiply them, right? Get this kind, get a tall kind, a small kind, a black kind, a white kind, and a polka dot kind. I like the polka dot horses, you know. And they're really cool. Nothing wrong with them. They're just horses. I mean, God, is, God doesn't care about horses, does he? You should see out the latest model I got. It's got some, it's really powerful. It's got some good horsepower to it. What's wrong with horses? Can you hear the justifications? Can you relate to the justifications? What do all these things do? They turn your heart away from the Lord. Is there anything wrong with a horse? I kind of like horses. I think they're cool. But to multiply horses? To multiply gold and silver? Where's all that focus at? It's right here. It's on the Lord. It's on me. The worst part about it was Solomon never did what God wanted him to do. Listen to what God wanted him to do. Looking there in Deuteronomy 17, beginning at verse 18. And it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priests, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom he and his children in the midst of Israel Did, did God need King Solomon to build a temple? No. Did he need any of those other buildings or the wall? No. What did God want? He wanted love. He just wanted Solomon to love him. And to lead by example. You see that there at the end? His children in the midst of Israel. What does that mean? He and his children as the king in the midst of a holy people leading people to God. Not leading them away. He just wanted love. He wanted his people and their leader to love him. What do we have today? What do we have in the New Testament today? Let's turn there. John chapter 14. What does Jesus want of us today? John 14 will begin at verse 15. 
John 14, 15. People say that God is love, and it's true. But how do we show love back to God? John 14, 15. If you love me, what? Keep my commandments. That sound awfully familiar to you? Verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. Jesus doesn't need a building plan. He doesn't need an extension any more than he needed a temple. He blessed the temple because David loved the Lord and David wanted to build a place for God better than the tent that God had ordained. David wanted more for God. So God blessed that. God can provide for us a building extension, but what he desires out of us is what? Love. He wants us to love him. He wants us to show that love by doing what he says. And those of us who are married, we, we, we kind of get that, right? We express to each other what's on our hearts, what means the most to us. And if that means action on the part of the other of spouse, they show love by, by doing that thing. Yeah, I really prefer it if you did this, you know. Hey, honey, if you cook this that way or... Hey, honey, if you'd pick your socks up off the ground, you know, the hamper is right there next to it. It'd be really great. You know? The Lord just says, love me. Do what, I, do what I ask you to do. He wants us to show our love for him that he's the foremost in our hearts and in our minds. That we love his word. See what he said to the king? that he would read it all the days of his life and be careful to observe it. We show love for the Lord by being in his word and loving his word. And go, wow, the Lord's speaking to me. Now I can see what he wants me to do, and I want to do it. Why? How can I not? How's How's the song go? How can I help but love him? Why? When he has loved me so. To love his word, to love his people. That's one of the sure signs of a believer. I tell you, if you're not a believer, you come to a place like this and it's a bunch of strangers. But if you're a believer, you can go anywhere in the world in a meeting like this. And you can go, wow, they love Jesus. And so do I. I sat in a room, actually slightly larger than this, filled with people from Papua New Guinea. And they spoke for hours. And I didn't really have the foggiest idea what they were talking about. Because they were in a foreign language. But I knew they were talking about the Lord. And I could tell that they loved the Lord. And some of them traveled for hours and days. And they would actually appoint a guy because they wanted him to have a stick. Some places they do this. They have a stick and he'd nudge you. Because you just traveled for days and you might have got tired. But you might miss something you wanted to hear. They love the Lord. They love his word. And they love the Lord's people. 
How else do we show love for the Lord? We love to reach out in His name. Maybe it's to a believer. Maybe it's to an unbeliever. You do something in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I don't care if it's just a little cup of water. If you do it in my name, you're not going to lose your reward. I'm going to reward you. You showed love for me. What happened to Solomon? Well, he didn't humbly listen to what the Lord said. The Lord said, the Lord told him not to multiply horses, gold and silver, and he did it. The Lord told him not to worship at high places in Deuteronomy 12, verses 1 through 5, and he did it repeatedly. He told him not to marry many wives, and he did it, or to marry foreign wives, and he did that repeatedly. That repetitive stress injury making him numb to the things of God. And he was leading Israel astray. Why didn't Solomon listen, do you think? Wait, wait, this is a guy who's the wisest man who ever lived, right? Outside of the Lord Jesus, the wisest who ever lived. How could he not know? You see, he, he, he was the wisest. He had the right answer. You like having the right answer? I like being quick on something. I notice I cut people off because I, I have the right answer. I, I want to say it real quick. You know? I want to say it. You mean this, right? And I cut people off. It's the right answer. Well, you know what? You can have the right answer and be the biggest fool. Solomon had the right answer. Two women were coming claiming the same child. He had the right answer. All right, give me a sword. We'll come in half. Each of you can have half. You know? He knew the real mom would say, no, I'll give it to her. Let the child live. He had the right answer up here. But what did he not have? He didn't have a loyal heart. He did not have a loyal heart. He wouldn't humbly submit to what the Lord wanted. He eventually turned away. Let me ask you, was he saved? Was Solomon saved? See some nods this way? Any this way? I asked a brother a couple weeks ago. I said, you think Solomon saves all? I think so. I was kind of surprised. Cause I kind of wondered myself. But I thought even worse than that, what a horrible epitaph. What a horrible summary of a life. Hey, you think so-and-so is saved? I, I thought he was. Oof. Chilling. Chilling. Let me ask you, can this happen today? Can this happen today? I believe some of the wisest, smartest, they can do it better than anyone else, people, can be just like this today. They're in danger of having the same pride of turning away from the Lord. So I might say, wait, Charlie, hey, hey, this is, this is New Testament times. Once saved, always saved, right? I believe that. Every true believer, every true believer will one day be with Christ. And the Lord's coming back. I don't know about you. I was riding my bike home the other day, and I saw the sun setting and the wispy clouds, and it was 
I don't know, 6.30 at night and about 80 degrees. And I just thought, I just see that view and I go, wow, is the Lord coming back tonight? Sure seems like it'd be a good time. Not like any time's not a good time, but I thought, I just think of the Lord coming back. It just hits me that way. The Lord is coming back and soon. Every true believer will go with him. But let me ask you this. Can a true believer so ruin his life through pride and stubbornness and bad decisions, hardness of heart, so that it just ends up in shambles? And to, to, to everyone and maybe even themselves, you can't even tell if they're a believer. I think it's true. I think it's possible. Let's read a couple accounts of that. Let's go to Acts chapter 5, please. No, maybe we're not going to make it back to 1 Kings. Just turn to Acts chapter 5, please. I'm not telling stories here. Acts chapter 5. This is the beginning of the church. This is the, new, this is the new believers in the new church in its infancy. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, Yes, for so much. And Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. Who was Ananias and Sapphira? Who were they? They could have been sitting next to you at church that morning. But that's the problem, isn't it? They were playing church. They were putting on a facade. Barnabas had just brought and gave everything. He says, here it is. And they were so encouraged by that. And for some reason, Ananias and Sapphira couldn't do that. But instead of just being honest and saying, well, here it is. This is what we can give you. And being honest about what they were keeping back. They said, oh, no, we gave you everything. You see? They're lying. That was the last wrong step they would do. I think they were believers. I think they could have been believers. But they sealed their testimony eternally, that decision. Turn to another uh, passage, 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul had a very special relationship with Timothy. He had discipled Timothy, so he cared a lot about him. 
personally, and we see these, these exhortations to him. First Timothy chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. He says, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Who are Hymenaeus and Alexander? Like some we've known, they started off there in an assembly probably. They started off maybe as teachers, maybe as examples to the other saints. But now it seems they've rejected the faith. They've walked away. What happened? Well, obviously, something went wrong. They rejected faith and a good conscience. Why? You know what I've noticed when people stray away? Like Solomon, always has to do, it has to do with sin. You know, and I think God put his finger on something in their lives. You know, you can, someone will say doctrinal this or doctrinal that, but oftentimes you get into it, it's sin. It's at least pride. And it's different manifestations. Maybe God put his finger on something. God puts his finger on things, doesn't he? Abraham had a boy. Abraham waited a long time for that boy. God says, all right, Abraham, take that boy and take him up to that hill. God was putting his finger on that most important relationship in Abraham's life. And Abraham did it. He came out like gold. God doesn't, God doesn't do this to torture people. He does it to show us where we're at. And he does it to glorify himself. And Abraham glorified God. God says, since you did not hold back your son, your only son, whom you love, he gives him back to Abraham, being raised from the dead, basically. I know of a brother. He was uh, reading the, the book of Job. And he saw how bad a situation Job had. If you don't know the story of Job, Job is a situation where a man who had much lost everything. And all he had left at the end was a wife. And she said, just curse God and die. Let's just get this over with. You know? And I remember this brother sharing this with me and he was saying, I believe he said, you know, I read that and I thought, boy, I hope that never happens to me. And that didn't happen to him. Not like that. The Lord let him keep basically everything else. And the Lord touched one of the biggest things in his life. His relationship with his wife. It's almost the inverse when you think of it. The story of Job. And the Lord let, allowed his wife to be affected. And thankfully that brother came out like gold. He trusted the Lord through the situation. He trusted that the Lord knew what he was doing, that he would follow the Lord all the days of his life. I had another brother, a young man, years ago. He came up to me and he said, I've got this friend and he used to follow the Lord, but I don't know where he's at now. And I said, I told his brother, I said, I've had the same friend and I don't know where he's at either. 
But I can tell you this, the Lord put his finger on something in his life. And that friend walked away. Where is he at today? I still don't know. I'm glad the Lord knows. I don't have my advanced copy of the Lamb's Book of Life where I can take it out and look up the names. Oh, there you are. Okay. You're a believer. I know how to treat you now. Can't do that. And that brother who was concerned about our mutual friend, he just shook his head. And I said, I don't know either. And that brother himself, not too long after that, was also himself challenged. The Lord put a, some, a finger on something in his life. And to this day, I don't, know if he, I don't know if he's ever got over it. I really follow the Lord in it. What's the Lord do? He's a patient father. You know, the, the Lord doesn't just point out all our issues and our problems. I've been critical like that. The Lord is patient. He's a wonderful father. He's systematic. He never gives us more than we could bear. The, the scripture says if the Lord was to mark iniquities, who could stand? Forget it. We'd all be just completely distraught. But he takes us one thing at a time. And then he puts his finger on that one thing. And that's when we go, that's where the white knuckles come in. And we go, wait a second. Uh, not that one, Lord. Not that relationship. Not that issue. Let me be wrong. Let me humble myself in front of somebody else. Uh, you know, I don't think I heard you on that one, Lord. He'll eventually deal with those issues in our lives. He was very patient with Solomon. But Solomon kept going the wrong direction until it led him off the path. What's the answer? Well, I think the answer is this. One last passage. Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. I love this passage because of what it, it's just a very complete um, passage and what it speaks of along these issues. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. What is that saying? God's provided it all. Look where he saved you from. Look what he's given you. He wants you to be like him. Not like them, like him. Like this, this corrupted world. But where you're going, he's giving you everything that you need and it's right here. That's what God's done. Now listen to what we need to do in verse 5. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence. Who's, who's giving all diligence? We are. We need to be diligent to do what? To add to our faith virtue. To virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brother, brotherly kindness, love. There's something for us to do. That's what God wants us to do. To be in his word. To be adding these things. And to be growing. To be growing in Christ. And what happens if you're growing in Christ this way? Verse 8. For if these things are yours and abound, you will, be, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to grow. 
if you're being diligent and you're adding to your faith, you're walking with the Lord, and he puts his finger on something, and you say, you're right, Lord, that's yours. I shouldn't have had that. I'm going to put it to the side. What do you want me to do next? What can I know more about you? How can I grow more in you? What, what do you want next, Lord? You're not going to be unfruitful. You're, gonna, you're not going to be barren. But there is, there is an alternative to that. Verse 9. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted. What are they living for? They're living for now. Short-sighted. Even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Can you imagine that? I think Solomon was so far gone, he'd, he'd forgotten a lot. Could you imagine going so far off base? You can't even remember you were forgiven of your old sins. It says it right here, it's possible. Verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. So an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Make your call and election sure. Has God called you? Has God, God chosen you? I know that he knows. I don't know for sure. But you know what I know? I know what, I know what it looks like when I see a believer walking with the Lord. I've seen many examples in this, in this assembly. They're fruitful. They're love with the Lord. And they're abounding. And they're being diligent, adding to their faith. They're growing. Let's pray. Lord, we do want to thank you. We thank you for these examples. We thank you for Solomon. We thank you for the severe warning, Lord, you give us to not turn, to not be unequally yoked with unbelievers as he was. To not have them turn aside our hearts. Lord, we don't want to be so proud. Lord, I don't want to be so proud to think it can't happen to me. Lord, keep it, keep it from me and keep it from all the believers here. Lord, we don't ask to be the wisest of all. Lord, we ask that you might give us the most tender heart towards you. That which easily humbles itself before you and turns to you in brokenness and in love and in true devotion. Lord, we ask for a loyal heart that we might follow you all the days of our lives. And we thank you in Jesus' name.